0: Brick Moon Fiction presents The Creek Was Not on the Map by Lauren A. Forey. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. You go to Vermont, don't ever come back. The Humvee hit a pothole. Delaware's book fell into a puddle of melted snow and salt. She struggled to pick it up with her gloved hands, gave in, and pulled the glove off with her teeth. With her bare hand, she wiped the title clean. Hang us a man the old pages already wrinkled from drying out years ago, slipped the paper back into her inner coat pocket. The Humvee rocked again. She leaned back against the cold steel wall. Six to a bench inside the Humvee, there was little space to carve out for oneself. Across the aisle, the two tallest men on the team, Philly and Burbs, formed glasses out of their fingers, made goofy faces at her. She could only tell the two apart because Philly had handsome blue eyes and the chin of a naked mole rat While Burbs had a solid square jaw, but round eyes that sunk into his head, she considered flipping them off, but it took less effort to break eye contact and tug her glove back on, covering the fresh bruise on the back of her hand. There were no windows, but she could feel the cold air leaching into the vehicle and through her back, despite her many layers and heavy coat. They were getting closer. Delaware closed her eyes, pictured the mounds of snow and ice they passed outside what did you do to her? Okay, people, listen up. Team leader Yale stood at the back of the Humvee, bracing his hand against the roof for balance. A pale mustache peppered his upper lip. Reminded of her father, Delaware looked away. ETA is five minutes. Forecast is giving us clear skies for all of eight hours before the next blizzard hits. If we're not south of the mountain by then, we're going to be stuck like all these sons of bitches were here to help. Now, before local PD's satellite phone went out, They reported approximately 102 vehicles stuck on a 29-mile stretch of Route 7, right through the heart of Green Mountain National Forest. What these idiots were doing driving through the mountains during what my beloved Ginger Z is calling the storm of the century, I have no MF in clue. But I do know these people have already been trapped in their cars for 12 hours in below-freezing temps. If they're not already out of gas, they will be soon. So they're not only hungry and tired, but borderline hypothermic at best. Again, I'm well aware that these people are idiots but everyone has their reasons. Pretend these people are your mothers, your fathers. Come and find me, monkey. Your brothers and sisters. And if you hate your family, pretend inside every car is a cute, cuddly puppy. If you hate puppies, you can get out this goddamn instant. Delaware laughed, but hers was the only one. She clammed up, then tucked her hands under her thighs so no one would see them shaking. Burbs raised his hand. Any word on why we lost communication with the PD? The weather's that fucking bad, Philly joked. No clue, Yale said, but Philly might not be far off the mark. Last we heard from Westminster Barracks was 0600, right as the latest round was hitting. The truck rattled and Yale went on, talking about the warming shelters the Red Cross had set up, local businesses donating food and coffee, how a scouting team would ride ahead on the smaller ATVs and the rest would follow in the heavy-duty Argo Outfitters. Nothing happened. Nothing ever happened. I was lucky just to find you. "'It's Bigfoot,' Philly said. Delaware leaned forward and listened in, keeping her eyes on the floor.
1: "'Yeah,
0: okay,' Burbs said. "'I'm serious, man. Where we're going, it's a hot spot for Bigfoot sightings. I'm telling you. And not just Bigfoot, but other weird shit. Strange lights, unsolved disappearances, aliens. They even have a name for it.' "'It's Vermont, Philly.' The only weird thing about Vermont is why weed isn't legal there yet. You gotta stop watching those travel channel shows. She spoke up. Philly's right. It's called the Bennington Triangle, like the Bermuda Triangle, because so many people have disappeared in there without a trace. See? Philly slapped Burbs in the chest. New Girl knows it, and she must be smart. She reads books. He couldn't keep the sarcasm from his voice. She waited for more jibes, but they went back to arguing about Bigfoot and UFOs. Delaware felt the weight of the book in her pocket. It had been floating in the creek, a rock keeping it from rushing downstream, water slapping at the cover. She'd reached for it, kneeling on the bank, fingers brushing the pages, just as Dad grabbed her arm. She unfolded the map of Glastonbury Mountain that Yale had distributed at the start of their trip. There was no creek. Just like there was no creek on any of the other maps of the area that she'd studied over the years, the only map that marked the creek was the one mom had drawn in the back of her book. I was lucky just to find you. Now leave it at that. The Humvee rolled to a stop. The back hatch opened, the cold air hitting them immediately. Yale shouted something about the temperature being minus one Fahrenheit, and Burbs made the inevitable someone pissed off Elsa joke as they quick-zipped their coats and pulled on their balaclavas. Delaware, sitting closest to the cab, was the last out, and she almost hit her head on a stop sign. On a typical day, this was probably a highway, but the snow was piled so high, there was no recognizable road beneath them. It raised her up from the ground like a wave. An abandoned plow rested at an angle, half propped on the unseen sidewalk somewhere beneath. The rest of the road was covered in gray, dirty snow, attempts to plow long given up. The sky above was a uniform gray foretelling the next storm to come. Snow hung heavy on the surrounding trees, the limbs of many bending under the weight shadowing the businesses that dotted the road either side everything had a gray sheen like the town was buried under volcanic ash rather than snow but it was snow and the sheer amount of it deadened the sound even with humvees idling and two dozen first responders stretching their legs and jumping up and down for warmth the snow ate up everything movement in one of the buildings caught Delaware's eye a flash of orange John's family diner Though the windows were dark, she could picture the paper placemats, the sticky linoleum tables, running her fingers over the plexiglass that covered the cakes, eclairs, cannolis, donuts, and all the other pastries that she could never get enough of, every summer for ten years of her life. Every summer until Mom disappeared. What did you do to her? She thought everything along the highway was abandoned, but that wasn't the case. Cars sat in parking lots, snow up to the windows. The electric was out, and people were trapped in that diner, in the other buildings, watching now, to see if they'd be helped. Delaware turned from them. Somewhere, a generator started, cutting through the silence. Delaware eyed up their Polaris single riders currently occupied by Philly and Burbs. Yale was overseeing the unhitching of the Argo outfitters. Burbs slapped Philly on the back and jogged away towards the water bottles. Delaware grabbed a backpack and walked up to Philly. Yale wants you on the Argos. What? Seriously? Why? He doesn't explain himself to me. You want to know? Go ask him. Philly stomped off, departing just as Burbs returned. What's all that about? He asked. Change of plan. Let's go. She hopped on the ATV and rode on, leaving the diner behind. The claustrophobia of the Humvee ride north eased away in the freedom of the wide open space transformed into another kind of fear. The tarmac that formed Route 7 was somewhere beneath them under feet of snow. Even with the balaclava, the brisk wind chilled her face. Her nose ran, the mucus freezing on her upper lip. She could hear nothing over the ATV, but knew if it were switched off, there would be nothing to hear. Smelled nothing but cold air. Trees passed in a blur. Hide and seek time, monkey. We're going to hide together. Let's hide together. It looked both familiar and unfamiliar. A place from a dream. She had never seen it in the snow. You won't find her out there because there's nothing to find. Can't you understand that? She missed Burbs' first signal, gliding about 15 yards ahead and having to turn back. He was already dismounting and brushing snow away from the car, which, if it hadn't been red, wouldn't have been spotted. Only the roof and the tops of the windows were visible. According to Yale, about three feet of snow had fallen in the area, but this car seemed to have slipped another half foot into the embankment. Delaware helped Burbs shift the snow from one side of the car, unsure if it was the driver's or passenger's side. With each handful, she braced herself for what she might see inside. They could see the steering wheel, the dashboard, the gear shift. Delaware glimpsed a lifeless shade of tan. What did you do to her? It was a briefcase. Just a briefcase. They cleared the rest of the windows. The car was empty. She cupped her hands over the back windows. There's a car seat back there, she said, and a diaper bag. The back passenger door is open, Burbs replied. Snowed shut, but not latched. You think they left the car? In this? Maybe another car came to help them when they went off the road, or, he glanced at the empty forest around them. Delaware started to look for tracks, then realized she was an idiot. The storm would have erased them hours ago. Let's keep moving, Burbs said. According to her watch, it was just after 12.30 p.m., but the sky seemed to darken as they continued north. She drove slower than before, keeping an eye out for someone wandering the woods with a child in their arms, or for a child alone, lost and confused. But there was nothing but snow. Snow and trees and cloud. Stop asking. Just stop. I can't. Come and find me, monkey. Five miles later, they crested the top of a hill. She stopped, and so did Burbs, stunned by the sight below. Delaware had been expecting a traffic jam, cars resting on a slippery, snow-covered road, unable to travel safely any further, something close to what she'd seen on TV. But the road below them looked like a child had buried toy cars in a sandbox. The roofs of dozens of cars poked out from the snow at all angles went on for as far as they could see. Miles. Even beyond the jackknifed tractor trailer that blocked both sides of the buried highway, there were more cars. And even though she couldn't see them, there were people in those cars. People expecting her help. I'll take the left, Burbs said. You take the right. Without hesitation, he drove down the hill, heading straight for the nearest car. You can't do that. The face of Delaware's friend had changed when she realized Delaware was serious. You don't understand. Go some other time. My dad won't let me. He can't know. That's your problem, not mine. This is a fucking national emergency, not a ski trip. As she drove between the cars, the sound of her engine stirred the trapped occupants. Taps on the half-covered glass, calls for help. Like a rising chorus, the noise grew as people realized help had arrived. So many people asking for help. She didn't know where to go. She lost sight of burbs and skirted the outside edge of the traffic. Faces bundled in hats and scarves appeared at the windows, waving. I found you. Oh, God, I found you, sweetheart. Where's Mommy? Where did Mommy go? A body lay in her path. She turned sharply to the left and skidded to a stop, spraying the man with snow. Her engine hummed. The man didn't move. He was face down in a black puffer jacket. Black gloves. No hat. The sound of Burbs' ATV echoed in the air, but she couldn't see him. Delaware climbed off the ATV and knelt by the man's side. Her hands hovered over his body, unsure of where to touch. She hesitated, then grabbed him by his shoulders and rolled him onto his back. His eyes were closed and lips blue. She couldn't tell if he was breathing. Where did Mommy go? Tell me, sweetheart, which way did she go? She pressed her hands over her ears and closed her eyes tight. Then she grabbed the backpack off the ATV and unzipped it. She couldn't find anything she thought would be useful, so she dumped it upside down, spilling everything onto the snow. Bandages, tools, instruments. She didn't recognize half of what she was looking at. This is a fucking national emergency, not a ski trip. I have to go. Get out of my way. Seriously, let go. What did you do to her? An orange packet stamped emergency blanket stared up at her. She grabbed it and tore it open, unfolded what looked and sounded like a giant orange piece of aluminum foil and laid it over the man, tucked it in around his sides, then looked for something else to help him. A water bottle had rolled away and she crawled on hands and knees for it and found the sign. Half buried like the cars, the green-edged top became a guiding point She knocked the water bottle aside and brushed the snow away. She knew what it said, but she had to be sure. She had to see it. She dug faster and faster, panting through her balaclava, sweating underneath her jacket. Glastonbury Pass. She pressed her fingers to the letters, needing to confirm they were real, that they wouldn't change. Then she was on the ATV and off into the woods, the man forgotten. Nothing looked familiar in the snow. It hid all of the landmarks she'd known as a child. The rocks, the bushes. Every tree looked exactly the same. She thought she'd know where she was going, but she didn't. She thought there would be some sort of trail, but there wasn't. She kept driving straight, and it was like she was ten years old again, being dragged by the hand. Back then, her journey had ended at the Glastonbury Pass sign. She tried to trace the path backwards in her mind, but there were only glimpses of memory a branch catching her in the face, skinning her knee on a rock as she fell, her father's hand in hers sweating, persistent as he yanked her up and they continued on, the wet book in the other, dripping onto her leg, the last sign of her mom, the ink on the hand-drawn map running, a flash of orange on her right, the color of mom's t-shirt, she braked so hard she almost flew off the ATV, she looked but did not see it again, only gray, only white. But she turned the ATV to the right and drove in the direction it had been. Don't let him know where we are, monkey. What did you do to her? She remembered crying that day, sitting on the roadside in the hot sun, tears cooling on her reddened cheeks, dad pacing. She wanted to place a cell phone in his hand, but that wasn't right. Cell phones had barely existed then. He'd been gripping his hair, not pressing a phone to his ear another orange flash, this one to her left. I'm coming, she whispered. She didn't think she needed to shout to be heard. There had been something else about Dad that day. He was wet, his arms up to his sleeves, the front of his shirt, but not from sweat. They'd been waiting under the hot, dry sun, her skin burning, but he was wet. He'd washed his hands, washed his hands in the creek, water splashing up his arms and onto his shirt while she'd stood back on the bank, the book pressed close to her chest, but the maps said there was no creak. I'm sorry. This is the only way I can go without him knowing. I'm sorry. An orange flash, straight ahead. She accelerated. A blur cut in front of her. She swerved to avoid the collision and overbalanced. The ATV went out from under her and slid off into a tree. She fell onto the ground on her left side. Her head bounced off the hard-packed snow. Quiet, little monkey. We're playing a hide-and-seek, remember? He can't know I'm going. I'm sorry. It's not a fucking ski trip. Delaware sat up, expecting to see someone there, but not the person she did see. Burbs. The balaclava around his neck, hands at his sides. What the fuck are you doing? You should get back to the accident. Her knee ached as she stood. I should? I'm sorry, where are you supposed to be right now? She righted the ATV. The smell of gasoline stung the air. I thought I saw her out here. The woman and the baby from the car. We don't know it was a woman. And we don't know that person's baby was in the car when it got stuck. Well, I thought I saw something. I need to check it out. You head back to the highway. Sure I will. As soon as you tell me where you did your training. She froze with her hands on the handlebars. Wouldn't look at him as she answered. Delaware. You know that. I don't know jack shit about you. Where in Delaware? Dover. Where in Dover? She didn't answer. What unit? Shh, monkey. Stay hidden. You abandoned a man in dire need of assistance, new girl. You looked like you didn't even know how to take a pulse. And yet when we all got in the Humvee, you said that you had five years' experience. The snow crunched under Burbs' boots as he came closer. My friend. The words were hoarse in her throat, like she'd been shouting, the cold air slipping down her neck with every breath. My college roommate. She was... is... an EMT. She has five years' experience. She got this assignment. I went in her place. Why would she let you do that? It's not a fucking ski trip. From the corner of her eye... She saw the frost of his breath punctuating the air ahead of her in the distance, obscured by the trees, the blurred outline of someone, of a woman, possibly, in an orange t-shirt. I didn't give her a choice. The figure disappeared behind a tree, reappeared, disappeared, went further into the forest. It's not a fucking ski trip, she whispered. What did you do to her? Hey hey, look at me. His voice had gone soft. So soft it startled her. She finally looked at him. He had his hands out like he was trying to coax a wild animal. I don't know your story, okay? But I do know there's a lot of scared and hurt people back there who need our help. You don't need any training to hand out emergency blankets and water. And let me tell you, those people, they'll really appreciate it, okay? She looked back into the woods. I didn't come here for them. Come and find me, monkey. She threw herself onto the ATV and took off, weaved through the trees. The sound of the engine drowned out everything else. Dad had laid down the ultimatum years ago, since she turned 13, since she was old enough to ask questions. Dad, arthritis crippling his fingers, repeated it two days ago when he saw what she was watching on the Weather Channel. You go to Vermont... Don't ever come back, understood? Don't go looking for her. Don't go asking questions. What did you do to her? Why did you wash your hands in the creek? Movement on her left. Burbs appeared beside her. Each time he tried to cut over, a tree blocked his path. Like they were closing in around her, blocking her in. Hide here, monkey. Hide here and be safe. I'll find you. When it's time, I'll come back for you. Stay very quiet. There was no creek. You know that. She drew one, but it's not there. The woman in orange appeared before her with arms outstretched. Delaware braked hard. Burbs cut in on her right and went sailing past her. The crash echoed through the trees. She disappeared, that's all. She disappeared into the woods. I was lucky just to find you. When she looked, the woman was gone, the forest silent. There was no sound from Burbs' ATV. Everywhere she looked, there were only trees and snow and sky. The tracks of his ATV led her to the creek, the creek that was not on any map. She disappeared, and she tried to take you with her, sweetheart. If you go to Vermont, you won't ever come back. Burbs' ATV was upside down on the frozen creek. Unlike most memories of things from her childhood, the creek was bigger than she remembered. Deeper, winding its way through the forest like a vein. The ATV had punctured a hole in the ice. The water flowed beneath. She did not see burbs. She left her ATV on the bank and scooted carefully down to the water's edge. For a moment, she thought she saw something under the ice. A hand. A face. Then it was gone downstream carried away beneath the ice. She did not see burbs anywhere. Come and find me, monkey. I'm here. Come and find me. She pressed a hand against the book hidden in her pocket, her mother's book, remounted the ATV, and continued into the forest. Lauren A. Forey was brought up in the woods of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, where her FBI agent father and book-loving mother raised her on a diet of the X-Files and R.L. Stein. Her debut novel, Abigail Hall, A Gothic Horror, is available now from Black and White Publishing, UK, and Skyhorse Publishing, US. Her short stories have appeared in multiple anthologies, including The X-Files, Secret Agendas. She currently resides somewhere in the woods. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.